We are living in challenging and uncertain times where leaders need support and encouragement to help them learn to navigate the world we are in. The Missional Formation Podcast is designed to help leaders thrive by promoting healthy rhythms that connect spiritual and missional practices. This podcast is hosted by two friends, an Irishman and an American. My name's Mark. My name is Winfield. And together we have more than four decades of experience training and coaching leaders from around the world. Each episode of the Missional Formation podcast will include conversations between us as well as interviews with leaders from around the world. And they're going to explore a variety of topics, including hope, resilience, and healthy rhythms for doing ministry in today's hectic world. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and join us for the conversation. Hey, welcome to the Missional Formation Podcast. Today's podcast is about how to make space to think deeply, rest fully, and reconnect with loved ones in a post-COVID world. Daniel C. is an Australian church planter, productivity consultant, and author of Spacemaker, a book about reshaping our digital habits. In this interview, we talk about technology and productivity digital discipleship and practical tips to help us rest deeply away from a screen. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to Mission Formation Podcast. On today's episode, we have Daniel C. Daniel's a good friend of mine. And he's just brought you a really good book called Spacemaker. Spacemaker, how to unplug, unwind, and think clearly in the digital age. Oh my goodness, we all need to do that. That is so important. Daniel, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good to see you, Mark. Good. How's the weather? Always sunny, is it? Uh, not in Tasmania. So I live in Tasmania, which is right at the bottom of Australia. And so we're heading into winter and it's dark and it's cold. Uh, maybe, maybe not compared to island cold, but you know, it's still icy. Yeah. Well, we're heading into summer and it's dark and cold. So it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. The only difference in Ireland is the rain is uh, warmer in the summer. So it's, uh... Uh, hey, listen, tell, tell us a bit about yourself, Daniel. Yeah, look, thanks. Uh, so I am a pastor and I started, oh, was part of a church plant a few years ago called Together Church. And we are into kind of a missional community model where we meet uh, for a service in the city. And then we also meet in houses. So I suppose to try to create a bit of community, which is connecting with people around us in Hobart. Uh, and I also help equip and train leaders uh, in different places using Zoom around the world in how to share their faith, particularly during this pandemic, using uh, online technology, so Zoom and, and other tools to read stories of hope from the life of Jesus. And so that's been a really good adventure over the last few years, or oh, since, since the pandemic. Uh, and I'm also a um, bivocational businessman. I work for a company called Spacemakers, which is similar to the name of the book. And I do productivity training and coaching and work with leaders, CEOs, uh, people mainly in Hobart and also Melbourne, but also some online coaching globally in terms of training people, just practical tools and how to work well and shift the way they work, make space in their life 
And obviously part of that involves thinking about their digital technology habits. Brilliant. Brilliant. And what's house or house oh, life? I'm sorry. And, and more importantly, I'm a father of three kids. <laughs> I should have started with that. All good dads should. Yeah. And uh, my wife's Kylie. She does ministry work with me. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad you added that in. Um, hey, listen, what, what's life been like for the last year and a bit for you with the pandemic? Yeah, look, we're in a we're in a fairly unique situation because we had a six week lockdown, which is so short compared to the rest of the world. And since then, we haven't had any active cases in the community in terms of coronavirus. Yeah. However, it re- it has been a, a a frantic, wonderful, life changing. You know, I don't know, twelve fifteen months for me personally. Um, so I, as I said, I, I run a business and obviously with the church community, we needed to work out how to meet on zoom. So we did meet on zoom for a few months, but it wasn't as long as in Europe. Mm-hmm. But, um, but what was, what was amazing is I just had this deep sense early on around March that this was going to be a, um, a missional moment, not just something we should be fearful of. Yeah. And yeah, I, I actually woke up in the middle of the night and I rarely get this, but I had this deep revelation from God that, that um, it's an Esther 4.14 moment where, you know, Mordecai says to Queen Esther, what if the world has been shaken for such a time as this? Yeah. And I just had this deep sense that while all of the pastors and myself were talking about how do we do church online, we were, we were missing this opportunity that the world was shaken and God was giving us a chance to actually share the love of God and the hope of Jesus with those who don't yet know him. Yeah. Uh, so we started to train people in how to, how to connect with friends online and just, um, we, we, we taught people how to, you know, say, do you want to connect online and to, to be a community together, uh, to help friends in need and to read stories of hope from the life of Jesus. And that just, t- that kind of just, it skyrocketed. And we now uh, within this kind of 10 month period, we've trained nearly a thousand people directly online We've got um, yeah, nearly hundreds of groups around the world. We've got people who have come to faith in every continent, except for Antarctica. Right. Seen churches planted out of these little hope groups. So um, I'm exhausted, but it's been a frantic time. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's nothing to do with my book, but that yeah. that's the reality of what my life's been like for the last year. Yeah. Well, it's 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 really good to hear your heart, and and also probably paint a picture of maybe how and why this book came about, and amongst all that craziness of your life so so i love that for a time like this a quote from scripture yeah it's such a different time isn't it it's a time of digital it's a new time it is and you are in the world isn't it and the amazing thing is that <laughs> concurrently as all this was happening uh, i broke my leg as well so i was oh. i was I couldn't move very much. So I'm training people around the world on technology. I couldn't move. I'm in bed in a plaster or in a cast. And, uh, and at the same time, I was finishing a book about why we should spend less time on digital technology. <laughs> and so I've never used more technology in my life than in the last year. <laughs> and yet uh, I was also finishing, finishing a book I'd spent years researching on the importance of less tech. And, and it can't be more relevant than right now in a post-COVID world because we're so deeply um, connected with each other through our technologies. And yet uh, there's challenges with digital overuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And the, the, I mean, I've read the book and I love it. I really do. And I think I've read a couple of books in the last few years that have really influenced me. One is David Jacobs, a year of living biblically. 
Uh, mm -hmm. David is a journalist in New York, and he he attempted to live his life by the laws of the Old Testament for a year. And it's a hit. Like the book, the book is so funny, um, and and many of the laws he he likes just because they drive his wife crazy. Um, however, <laughs> you can see the theme. You see, you can see his um, his uh, whole attitude changing as he goes throughout the book. From like these laws are about nuts and they're about crazy to well, these laws are actually help me live my life in a better balanced life. You know, when he gets to the end of the book, he definitely has a few revelations, and then another book. I've loved is um, the end of absence by Michael Harris in Canada, and basically it's a the thesis is reclaiming what we've lost in a world of constant connection. So one mm. was really looking at the laws of the Old Testament could be left them today, and the other one was looking at the reality of what we have lost, mm. the ability to daydream, mm. the ability to be absent, um, and I think your book really. For me, it just pulls those two things together and brings a lot more of the how into the picture that I would be looking for. Um, but again, your book is not a religious book, but it, it seems to be deeply shaped by your faith. You want to tell us about this? Yeah, look, I mean, it's fascinating what you just shared because yeah. I think that mimics my story that uh, if you look at the wisdom of God, the wisdom of the scriptures and obviously the teachings of Jesus, if we look at what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, well, then we need to re we need to think about how we use our time, how we give our attention, what it means to to be still, and to connect relationally with people, and to know our values and to orientate our habits around who God's made us to be as apprentices. Uh, and at the same time, we're in this you know world where we need to use technology, and technology is amazing. It shapes so much of our life and our thinking, uh, a lot of it in positive ways. Yeah. And yet, how do we merge these two together? So it's interesting, those two books that you've just mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, in terms of, in terms of uh, where it's come, so it's not a religious book in the sense of I, I wrote it for a broad audience. And it's been really good to have it read by a whole lot of people who aren't yet Christians. Uh, and who don't ascribe to religion and to, to shape the book around some of their perspectives. There were some points where they're like, well, that's too religious and other points where they're like, you know, explain this more. Um, but, but I'm a missionary at heart. So I always want to be able to uh, draw people from wherever, wherever they are towards a love of Jesus. And I, I hope this book um, honors God and is certainly shaped by my faith and theology. Uh, I hope there's nothing in this book that, doesn't point towards Jesus, but I'm not explicit about that. Um, okay. Even though I do talk a few points about my own faith and how my faith story has shaped my practices, things like Sabbath and digital Sabbath, etc. Yeah. yeah, love it. Tell us a little bit about how digital technology shapes discipleship. Yeah, well, so in my mind, I mean, the word disciple. Uh, we, no, I won't use that analogy. We have this, we, we have this uh, cult movie in Australia, this classic where they talk about the vibe. So it's kind of like, it's everything. And uh, I find discipleship can be a bit like the vibe. Yeah. Uh, we talk about it as if everything we do is discipleship, but I don't think that was the intention of, of the New Testament authors. And so the word mathetes is disciple, go into all the world and make mathetes, um, which literally translated is learner or pupil. But uh, it, it's not the type of learning we have in the West where it's about what we learn in our head 
And it's not just about knowledge, even though knowledge is important. It's more like apprenticeship. So I see, um, I see discipleship as an apprenticeship to Jesus where we're, we're becoming more like him in the way we think, but also mm-hmm. in our practices. Uh, and, and in that sense, I see this as a deeply discipleship oriented book because um, I think technology and the way we use technology is one of the key discipleship issues of our time. Yeah. Uh, Rod Dreyer, a, a Catholic writer, he wrote The Benedict Option, which is a pretty challenging book. Yeah. He suggests that, um, that sexuality and, and the way we understand sexuality and technology are the two broad things that will, I suppose, stop the church from making disciples. Mm-hmm. And yet I think digital technology is a little bit more hidden. And a lot of us don't recognize just how deeply uh, our technology habits are shaping uh, our thinking and also our apprenticeship to Jesus. And unless we can reframe that, the Bible would say we need a metanoia. We need to repent. So to change our mind about what technology is to us, uh, I use the term paradigm in the book, uh, and then have specific practices of spiritual disciplines in order to shape um, who we are and how we love mm-hmm. around technology slightly differently, then, then I think we're going to struggle to truly make people who look and act like apprentices of Jesus. Yeah. Love that. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense to me because as I was saying to you earlier, I don't think we know how to use the digital technology. I don't think we, we know the impacts it's having on us. I think it'll be in our 20. And I think, I think even at a deeper level, I'm not sure people have thought deeply enough about the theology of technology or the theory about what it is. And therefore the practices just kind of, happen by accident yeah um again rod dreyer talks about technology being a liturgy uh so he's a catholic person but but he talks about um it's the liturgy that trains us into modernity or to to secular thinking so we wake up in the morning and we start with our phone we finish at night we've got our phone in our hand and the ideas embedded within our devices uh shape us into being individualists into being consumerists into thinking around uh, maybe hedonistic ways or being distracted and unable to be silent. So, so we, it's not all bad. Like the book is not an anti-technology book by any means, but I do think we need to understand the, the potential impact of, of technology as a liturgy that shapes us away from Christ. And then, and that allows us to frame our habits so that they lead us towards discipleship. Yeah. I love that. Tell us a wee bit about digital overuse and how it impacts productivity. Yeah. So I, again, I'm a productivity consultant by trade and I spent a lot of time. Well, I mean, most of my, most of my work is about training people how to use technology. So how to get their inbox to zero, how to use online to-do lists, how to prioritize using calendars, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I noticed is um, increasingly there's a smaller group of people in society who just avoid technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, if, if they don't use technology, then there comes a point where they, they're not productive and they need to use more of their tools to be, to be more productive at work and also in life really. Uh, But that subset's getting smaller. And yet what I found is there's a whole bunch of executives and leaders and high caliber managers who are really, really savvy at their tools and they have every app and every device and yet they're deeply unproductive that they're always busy. They're wired, they're tired maybe anxious or just unfocused and the things that they do don't lead to deep 
transformation that they're not meaningful things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I started this kind of years ago, this is when I started the question, what is the link between technology and productivity? Mm-hmm. And because it seems that if you don't use technology, you're not productive, but if it seems that if you use too much, there's this kind of loss of productivity and I needed to understand how that fit. Yeah. And so looking at the multitasking research, looking at, um, neurology i'm a physiotherapist by background so i've got some understanding of the human biology human biology and how the brain works uh and and looking at uh, um the theory of technology and also the theology of technology i've taken a pretty broad sweep to understand the answer to that question what's the link between productivity and digital tech and i came to the conclusion that um, if you don't use technology you'll reduce your productivity you imagine like a, a U-curve. If you increase your use of technology, your skills, your tech savvy, you will increase your productivity to a point. And then you get what I would say is a, um, like the point of uh, low returns and, and the curve plateaus. And if you, ch- you, know, you get another computer, another laptop, more apps, your productivity doesn't increase. You just kind of stagnate and you hit this productive middle. But what I've noticed, and this is what I'm seeing, particularly post COVID, if you keep going, if you keep spending more time online, if you keep, you know, doing, let's say the average American now spends 12 hours online a day. That's, that's a huge amount of time post COVID. If you keep spending most of your life on a computer or on a screen, you actually slide down the right hand of what I call the inverted U curve. So basically you, you um the the peak starts to drop off again and the right hand side of that curve you are no longer productive and that's when you're experiencing digital overuse yeah Uh, and so the book was really written to try to say if we've fallen on the opposite side of the curve and we're becoming unproductive wired tired unrested our relationships are suffering our ability to think clearly or to rest fully or just simply to sit and be if that is if that is your experience mm-hmm. uh, and if that is starting to affect you well then you need habits to to deliberately make space in your life and yeah. deliberately unplug in order to return to the productive middle from the opposite end not the i don't use yeah. tech end but from the i use too much tech end yeah. and that's actually what makes you productive and i've seen that play out in clients lives and it plays out in the research yeah yeah i love that i love that i mean i find that i find the last year in a way of has maybe been some of the most fruitful in my life and mm. I've had the most walks. I've had the most switching off from technology that I've ever done. Um, wow. Because there is something about your brain going on, going on there as well. It's, I just feel mm. sometimes my brain's like just no more stop, stop, no more screens. And, uh, wow. And I love that part, you know, about learning as well. You know, where do you learn most? Do you learn most in a in a classroom, or do you learn most by going in a walk in the forest somewhere by yourself? You know, mm. you learn something, but you learn you learn. They're both equal learning spaces, but you just learn different things. So there's something there about balance and and switching off from social media and and, and using all our senses and giving our brain a wee bit of a rest. Uh, and I just wonder, you you do outline quite a lot in your book about neuroplasticity and how the brain Hmm. has been how the brains are being shaped our brains are being shaped by the online world at the moment i mean i find i love all that stuff because i think that i've had to be very aware of it 
you know, especially when you're working from Zoom all the time and you're writing and you're always texting. Mm. Sometimes I just have to go, hey, listen, my brain's going to explode. <laughs> you're up for your second or third book, aren't you, in the last year now? You're, know. You, you must know. be on screens all the time just I know. to type. I know. That's a, yeah. And, and yet, when I do those things, when I do something that has no screens and I go away for half an hour, an hour, mm. half a day, when I come back, my productivity just like, it rockets. Um, so tell us a bit mm, about absolutely. what's going on with the neuroplasticity of our brain um, in the online world. Mm. Yes. I mean, uh, again, I was a physiotherapist for more than a decade. So that's part of my background, a physical therapist, if you're listening in the States. And, uh, and I remember one situation in which I write about in the book, a lady called Susan, and she came into my outpatient clinic and it was really funny. It was really unusual because she was walking in like a crab. She was almost walking in sideways, like 30 degrees kind of to the side, but her face was looking at me. And, uh, and I could, and I just, I was trying to work out what's this lady coming in with. And in the end, she said she'd had a car crash years ago and she'd been in a brace and now her neck was stiff, but, uh, her friends kept telling her that she walked funny <laughs> and she wanted to get some physiotherapy. So I'm like, well, this will be interesting. So I was just assuming that her neck was stiff. And so we did all these tests, but her neck actually turned left and right, certainly was able to be neutral. It was a bit stiff to the right, but, but she always held her head 30 degrees to the right. And it wasn't as painful as I thought it would be because it'd been years since the accident. So I was quite curious. And so I got her in front of a mirror and I got her to close her eyes and turn her head to the left and then turn her head to the right. And then I said, keep your eyes closed and stop when your eyes and your face are in front of the mirror, neutral. Yeah. And she opened her eyes and her head was 30 degrees to the right. It's exactly the way she walked in. Right. And so um, that's, a, that's a classic example of neuroplasticity. It, it was a problem of what we call proprioception uh, right. or perception, where um, the joints in her body and the mind map that she developed in her brain had told her that turning your head to the right was straight mm. and, and she just couldn't feel it. Um, now we, we had a great result in the sense of we practiced and she reoriented her brain, but, uh, that, that for me is an, a bit of an example about the, the best and worst of the online world, actually, because it's not just negative. Uh, the, the negative part is if we are doing 12 hours of screens a day, if we're on zoom constantly and, uh, we're always on e-readers and we just, we can't exercise without podcasts and music in, you know, if, mm -hmm. if we orientate our life to the point where we're practicing the internet constantly, then our, our brains will develop a new normal and mm -hmm. it can be hard for us to perceive what's normal and what's not normal and what's healthy and what's not healthy. And you'll experience symptoms like this lady did. I'm tired. I never feel like I can rest. I'm always distracted. I can't pick up a book and focus anymore, but, uh, but you won't necessarily know how you got there because the brain changed over time. So basically neuroplasticity means that when you repetitively do a behavior again and again, your brain will shift its mind map and it will strengthen some neurons and weaken others uh, until you actually become, you start thinking and acting differently. Uh, so that can be negative if it's shaped in a way that's unhealthy. And I do think, you know, like I used to play piano <laughs> and, you know, to get me to play, like when I was a kid, to get me to play 20 minutes of piano a day nearly killed my parents. I, I still have to say sorry. But um, I think imagine if I did 12 hours of piano practice a day, how that would shape my brain, my habits, my finger movements, you know, my ability to think musically. But we are practicing the internet. We're practicing screens 10 to 12 hours a day. And that is shaping our brain.
Uh, and, and it changes our perception and our mind map of the world. Um, but, but the hopeful part is we can always change it however we want. And so neuroplasticity works for us as well. So the book is really saying if, if you start to recognize that you're a bit like Susan and you're walking kind of a bit skew with and what feels normal actually shouldn't be normal uh, because of maybe post-COVID habits, then we can always switch back, but you need to be intentional and you need some practical how-tos in terms of unplugging as a rhythm, uh, not to avoid technology, but to have times when you are turned off in order to, it's, it's a bit like getting your mirror and actually getting your head back to straight. Yeah. Love that. So we, you know, our brain is being shaped by our <clears throat> digital habits and practices every day. The good, mm-hmm. the hopeful part is that we can start to decide how we're doing that and take a bit of ownership of, mm-hmm. you know, is that, is that what you're saying? You know, you can sort of, yeah, absolutely. I, I just think the key message really is be intentional, understand the impact negatively and positively of the online world yeah. and be intentional to shape your habits around your values, your faith mm-hmm. and who you want to become uh, rather than just mindlessly say more is more and, and I'll just hope for the best and, and end up in a place where you're not the person you're hoping to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to ask you as well about social media and it's promised to be a community. <laughs> Always social media. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a sort of person. I just love people. Like I love like mm. sitting in the coffee shop or having a chat or I just love mm. like meeting people and listening to their story. It's just who I am. I've always been the same. And I've, you know, I've lived in different countries around the world and traveled. And one of the reasons I love to do it, because I meet people that are completely different from me. Um, mm. And I love that because that's where I learn and grow. And I like social media. I don't know if I love social media because I see social media tends to then sometimes be the opposite of that. It brings people together that are all the same for good or bad. Mm. Um, mm. And so, so I, I, I'm just, and I see how community can be, can be, um, garnered on social media to do really amazing things to change society mm. in an instant in an incredible way um so just tell us a wee bit about its promise to create community from your perspective mm. no look that that sounds good i mean uh, where do i start but i i <laughs> i remember i remember years ago or a few years ago i went there was a new cafe in town uh in hobart and, you know, we like nice cafes and I was having lunch with a friend or breakfast with a friend, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went in and the, the menu was pretty eclectic, you know, and it was one of those hipster cafes and everything was organic. And, yeah. um, you know, the barista had this amazingly manicured beard, all that kind of stuff. But um, I ordered a pho, which is a Vietnamese soup. Yeah. And I'm half Chinese. So I, I like soup and stuff like that in the morning, even for breakfast. But it came out. And rather than being a, a meaty kind of aromatic beef soup, which is what this kind of Vietnamese pho soup is, if you if you haven't had it before, it just didn't quite look right. And it, it looked like pho, but it just, it didn't quite taste right. And it didn't quite smell right. And I kept drinking and it was kind of nice, but I, it just wasn't what I thought it would be. And then I looked around and I realized that this was a vegetarian cafe and it was clearly not going to be a beef noodle soup. And so it was, it was a fake soup. It was a, it was a mushroom foe with substitute kind of beef. And, 
And my friend laughed. He said, I think you've ordered a faux faux. And, uh, and for me, for me, social media offers exactly what you said. It offers that um, it offers relationship. It offers meaning and community. Uh, it offers to replace or to, to substitute almost the relationships in your life. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg said it's taking the college experience and putting it online. And there's some beautiful, really important things about social media. Yeah. Uh, and I can talk about them in a minute, but, um, but my question was, uh, and I was writing the book at the time. My question was, is it, is it a fofo? Is it a fake soup? <laughs> is it a fake community experience or is it a real one? You know, because that's a really important question. Yeah. Because when you look at the research, uh, and this is again from my physiotherapy background, real community is absolutely amazing for your health and for your yeah. mental health and for your happiness. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of high quality research studies over many, many years that say that if you have relationships face-to-face -face with people that you care about and you can connect with loved ones and do it regularly, mm -hmm. you're a happier, healthier person. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we sh shouldn't need research. We can just follow the scriptures, <laughs> but uh, the research backs it, you know, and even to the point where like women who experience like who get cancer, yeah. Uh, if they connect regularly with um, people who are close to them and it's physical touch, then the genes that modulate their cancer recovery switch on and they actually survive longer. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, the research suggests that actually not being close to loved ones in face-to-face -face relationships is as dangerous as having a three packet a week cigarette oh. habit um, or being in polluted air. Um, you know, like it's, it's, it's remarkable for your health to be in community. Mm -hmm. uh, However, the question is, does that work for online community? Mm -hmm. And increasingly the research says no. Mm -hmm. uh, basically the effects and the benefits and the wonder and the health that you get from being in relationships and community does not translate to Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, there's an experience of, of community you know, you, yeah. you feel like you're connecting with people, mm -hmm. but your experience of it over time isn't, isn't positive necessarily in the sense of um, people don't increase their health and happiness when they're on Facebook regularly. In fact, the research is, is leaning towards saying that if you're a high user or a medium user of Facebook, let's say use it more than two hours a day scrolling, mm -hmm. uh, you actually feel more left out. You feel more lonely. Yeah. Uh, you have lower self-esteem and less happiness. Uh, and, and this is playing out again and again. So there are, there are really positive ways you can use social media, you know, to connect with loved ones occasionally. Cal Newport suggests 45 minutes a week is yeah. all you should need on social media to connect, to get the benefits as in connect with people who are far from you and, and share photos and hear about their life. Well, that's really small, 45 minutes a week. I think he's a bit extreme, but uh, what he's saying is you probably don't need a lot of time on social media to get the benefits. Yeah. Um, if, if you're creative and you share, uh, if, if you're um, producing or if you're using it for business, there's some great benefits, but yeah. basically sitting there for hours scrolling the infinity, you know, infinity app and, and just liking and ticking other people's creativity is generally not going to be a good use of your time. Yeah. Um, and, and the problem is not that it's bad in itself, but yeah. if you're spending two hours on social media, yeah. Where's that two hours coming from? Because you don't have an unlimited amount of time. And the research is saying it's you're taking it away from prayer. You're yeah. taking it away from community, relationships, face-to-face -face friendships. 
You're taking it away from silence and solitude. You're taking it away from spiritual development, from learning music, from learning crafts, from reading. You're taking it away from things that actually statistically increase your happiness yeah. and you're trading it for a faux faux. And that's yeah. where the problem with social media is, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And you really, I mean, you really dive into that really well um, and well articulated in your book, Space Maker. I loved it. Mm. The, the last part of the book is extremely practical. You know, I noticed it's got various mm. rhythms to unplug, unwind, and reconnect with, with loved ones away from a screen. One of the most challenging of these practices for everyone is probably the weekly day of rest or digital Sabbath, <laughs> which you outline yeah. really well and you, you um, go into it at great depth. Tell us a wee bit more about this. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm speaking, I mean, I'm speaking from a place where I struggle to rest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So someone once said, you teach best what you need to learn most. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think I know so much about space because I care about it so much because I've struggled so much to have space in my life. Um, yeah. So um, that's my caveat that, yeah. uh, but, but one of the things that has been, and my wife, my wife would say it, which means it's probably true or mm -hmm. must be true that she, she says it's the Sabbath that we've adopted over the last four or five years that has been the game changer for our marriage wow. uh, and, and the game changer for our life. And, you know, yeah. that to hear it from her means it's, yeah. <laughs> it means it must be true because I'll make up everything else. Yeah. Um, but, but I, so I suppose I came to the conclusion that in the digital world with, with the type of lifestyle I have, I mean, I'm a busy leader and I love working and I love serving God and I love the things I do. It's, it's easy for me to learn how to work, mm -hmm. but actually rest isn't something that just happens. A lot of us just will learn skills to work well, but we won't intentionally learn how to rest well. Mm -hmm. And I actually think it's the opposite. I think in our culture, it's actually harder for many of us to deeply rest, to experience deep rest. I mean, Cal Newport talks about deep work, but I think we need to work out how to have deep rest and that's a skill. And, uh, and so the practice of the digital Sabbath or the weekly day of rest, which I call it um, for you know, non-religious audiences is to take a full 24 hours once a week where you're not working. Yeah. And, uh, and the heart is um, that the, the Jewish Christian um, practice is to orient it around two things. One is worship and one is rest. Mm -hmm. God worked for seven days and he rested on, he worked for six days and rested on the seventh mm -hmm. and he commanded that we rest. Uh, and so he, he, is a beautiful God that says, actually, I care so much about you that I'm going to give you a day of rest. And it's actually a sacred thing that, that I offer you. Uh, and the other thing is worship, um, which I call remembrance, which is to remember who God is. So rest and remember, rem remembrance of the two pillars to remember Christ on the cross, to remember who we are, that we're human beings. We're not human doings to, mm -hmm. to, to stop, um, to escape the consumerist um, kind of you know, drivenness of our day for one beautiful day a week in order to actually live deeply. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and look, there's obviously, I don't want to challenge people's theology on this. There's people like John Mark Sayers have a lot of theology on this, which is really helpful. Um, but the point is, I think the Sabbath is still a good idea at the very least. It's a great idea to not work, but not working is more than just having a weekend. It actually requires an intentional design and to think about what is work for you um, how does digital technology shape the way you work and rest? And then what might it look to rest? Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, the conclusion was um, 
every day I'm online, I'm constantly connected, I'm communicating via a screen. From a neurological point of view, my brain can't tell the difference between watching Zoom or watching Netflix. Can't tell the difference between scrolling email right. and scrolling Facebook. Yeah. And so if, if the online world is what work is for me, then I decided that actually part of truly resting deeply has to involve disconnecting from my screens in order to actually honor God and to trust that he will work when I'm not working. So I suppose practically I just, I have 24 hours once a week. So Friday night to Saturday night, we turn off our phones, turn off our devices and we orientate a full day as a family around these principles of rest and remembrance. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the book, I, I practically map out how would you design it in a very specific way, working at what's in and what's out, uh, not rules, but norms yeah. and, and ways to, to deeply shape a day around rest. And it's a beautiful thing to do if you can, yeah. if you can learn to rest well together as a family. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's, an, yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, that's what gets me out of bed at the morning, just what you've just said, you know, for people to, to rest and regain mm. healthy rhythms. And, and there's something as there's something so like, you know, for, for me as a gospel message from Jesus that, you know, you have enough, you do enough and you are enough. Mm. Um, that, yeah. that's, that's such a powerful message to tell yourself, to give yourself like one day to have a different rhythm in your life. Cause the flip yeah. side of that is of not having enough is always fear. And a lot of leaders yeah. need to be needed. So none said, you know, we don't talk about it, but a lot of, you know, oh, I have to be needed. I have to be needed. You know, mm. I do enough. Oh, I feel guilty. That, you know, the flip side of that is guilt. And then I am enough mm. is shame, something that they're still holding on to, that they still believe someone else's narrative about who they are. Um, so just, I mean, I love what you say. And you really, um, one, you give a real good justification for it. And two, you give, there's even a wee template for doing it, which is really cool hmm. of, of how to do it. So well, I, I mean, that. I'm very practical because it's I'm a productivity yeah. guy. So I ultimately, know. I want to know how, I want to know how to do it. <laughs> Everyone tells you what you should do, but I want to know how to do it. So that's that's yeah. where I'm passionate. But yeah, um, you're pretty good. Well, I, mean, I, I see there's a kill switch. You know, Walter Brueggemann says people who take Sabbath live all seven days differently, and yeah. if you're able to submit your addiction to technology to God for one day a week. So yeah. it's almost like the first fruits principle, you know, yeah. give first yeah. to God your time and, and in response, he'll bless you with enough time for the other seven days, yeah. the other six days. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you brought up Brueggemann because I've read a lot of Brueggemann. Uh, I think it's hmm. amazing just in terms of trying to understand yourself and your organization, your church and fear and scarcity hmm. and everything else. And um, I've not, that, that came to mind when I read the more practical stuff. It's like, that's like Bruggerman 2.0. Like, <laughs> so, so I was thinking, oh, you must have been um, influenced by Bruggerman. But yeah. I'll, I'll take any compliment that compares me to Bruggerman. I think I I'm know. a long way off, but thank you. That's nice. <laughs> but, um, so give us, give us some simple tips that you could to help us improve our tech habits. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, a day a week without tech is, it's a high ask. Like yeah. it, it takes some planning. So I recognize that that could be like, whoa, that, that is, that is so far from where I am. If you're a business owner, for example, it might feel impossible. Yeah. Um, so it's helpful to have a few places to start. 
Uh, one of my one of my kind of quick tips without having to change your whole worldview is just to charge your phone outside of your bedroom. All right. Uh, yeah. You know, really simple. Like I think yeah. some of those simple tips can actually make a big difference. Yeah. So for example, uh, what, what I, you know, mo so many people end the day and start the day with their phone. You know, it's, yeah. it's like the opposite of the Ignatius rhythms. <laughs> you start yeah. and end with God. Yeah. You're starting and ending with, you know, Apple or Facebook. And it's just not necessarily the best way to start the day or end the day. And, uh, and the problem is our phones are so addictive. So look, one of the really simple things is just make sure your phone's not in your bedroom at night. And then at least you're forcing yourself to spend the last part of your day, hopefully, you know, talking with your partner, or if you're, if you're you know, not mar married, then reflect um, and, and think or read a book or journal. Uh, just don't finish by scrolling Instagram. Um, and then again, in the morning, you know, I like waking up and just thinking about my day. I say the Lord's prayer. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I think about what my day is going to look like. And, and I just have this break, this, this space, um, a daily pause is the habit I talk about. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd say it's not, and if you're a parent, I mean, it's, it's critical that you can model this because we imitate, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. Uh, if we can't model good tech habits, then it's going to be really hard for our teens to do it. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know about in Ireland, but in Australia, 80% of teens say that they're on their phones at night when their parents think they're asleep. Yeah. Um, 10% are checking their notifications 10 times or more every night yeah. during the night. Uh, and they're insomniacs. They're not sleeping and it's affecting their mental health. So uh, the simplest thing is everyone's phone gets charged outside of the bedroom yeah. and, uh, and then you pull it back in the morning. So that's one, one simple tip. Oh yeah. Um, I've, you know, I've got lots of little tips, but things yeah. like that can actually make a big difference if you're able to shape your neurology, your, your plasticity, reshape how you end and start the day it's a really good way to start yeah and there's there's lots of other practical tips in space maker as well um in your conclusion you talk about the story of elijah and the prophets of baal and how this taught mm. you about the making and meaning of space i thought that mm. was fascinating tell us a wee bit more about that yeah, it's not at all a it's not at all a passage about time management, but you know, <laughs> you know how the Holy Spirit speaks to us through His word word in yeah. in the way we need. And yeah. so I I was in a particular time of life where I was just exhausted all the time, and I'd put in all these productivity tips, yeah. and I'm a productivity consultant, so I'm training people in time management, <laughs> and yet I had no space in my life. Again, you know, I'd been through this stage where I had it, and then I lost it. Yeah. And I'm crying out to God, you know, like, how, how can I be and not do? And, you know, is it that I'm driven? And, you know, how do, how do I, what tips do I need? And, and I read, I read this, um, the account of Elijah taking on the prophets of Baal. And, mm -hmm. and we know this story, you know, Elijah and Baal and the prophets of Baal go up to a big mountain and they build two altars and they say, whoever, whoever's God is real, uh, will light the altars and and take the sacrifice of the bull, you know, and we know the ending of that. But, but I'd read that, you know, I don't know, dozens, hundreds of times, and I saw something different, maybe, be, well, because of the Holy Spirit, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and and what was interesting is that the the whole situation happened because there was this terrible drought that was destroying the land to the point where there was no food, there was no water, there was no ability to water crops, and and that's that set off this whole situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yet uh, what Elijah did is he just got 
like liters and liters and liters of water and he soaked he soaked his altar to the point where it was dripping down the edges and and the whole trench was filled up and i've always read that and thought well that's just about the fact that you know if you fill it with water well then it's even more miraculous when god lights it up but actually what i saw is they didn't have any water like that must have been so precious mm-hmm. and elijah poured out what he didn't have and as a result god gave him what he needed mm. and for me it was like a kairos or a god moment and i just knew that the thing i didn't have was time and space mm-hmm. and and god was calling me at this moment to give him my time and space first and to trust mm-hmm. him with my life mm-hmm. and and so practically what i did monday morning you know it's the time when you're busy you're catching up on your emails and everything's frantic um I, I committed to follow what I thought Jesus was saying to me, which was to go walking on a mountain, just walk from my house up the mountain uh, and pray and think and be. And I did it until 12.30, one o'clock um, on a Monday. So uh, I suppose I gave him time I didn't have. And uh, it, was a spo- it, was an, it was an act of faith for me, but, but it worked. Somehow I wasn't exhausted. Um, my email got under control. <laughs> When I needed work, work came. When I didn't need it, work didn't come. I'm not saying that's a principle for everyone, but what I discovered is that um, time management and space in our lives and our battle with digital technology and addiction, um, there are really practical tips and tools that are going to be helpful. But ultimately, we live in an upside-down kingdom. And, yeah. uh, and time is part of that. Mm. And as we give God our time, and seek first the kingdom of God. He gives us all things. Yeah. Uh, and, and I also realized that my wrestle with time and being spaceless, uh, it's, it's actually a wrestle with myself and with God. It's Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> and in yeah. that space of wrestling with my life yeah. and my time and my addictions to technology, it, it draws me again and again to God in hopelessness yeah. and helplessness. Uh, yes. And, and he blesses me. And, and so I suppose that might be an encouragement that mm-hmm. you, know, like you do need practical tools and, and ways to intentionally structure your life. But ultimately our life is God's and it's in his hands. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, through, it's through faith in Jesus that we'll actually find space. And when we fail, it's just another opportunity to experience his grace and his love uh, afresh in our lives, um, yeah. which is actually how I conclude the book. Yeah. Love it. Love it. It's quite deep and profound. Thank you. It really is. So the book's out today, as we record today. Why is this it's exciting? Today. Ah, today. I know. I feel very proud. It took me. Se- it took me seven years. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> seven years. I'm slow. I'm slower than you are, Mark. I tell you. <laughs> but hey, listen. Where can um, where can people buy the book? And I th- like I personally yes. think if do you know if you've someone in your life a friend a partner a kid a colleague and you're always staring at me you think you're never off your phone like buy them this book <laughs> you know <laughs> that'd be a great present wouldn't it here I bought you that you're on your phone too much yeah you know? so buy the hardback you can hit them over the head with ah, it and it's yeah, stronger yeah so. and keep buying the book <laughs> until they change <laughs> that's your unique selling point isn't it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I should have put little spikes on the book or something. <laughs> yeah, even this guy Daniel t- tells me I'm right. Look, he he's saying all the things I said. So, uh, <laughs> so where, where can people buy the book from now? Yeah, look, it's it's on all it's on all major bookstores. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure of different countries will have different popular stores, but yeah. it's on Amazon. It's on the book depository. Uh, it, I think it should be available in most most large online stores. Uh, it's also on Audible, so it's an audio book, and uh, which is which has been another adventure to learn how to record an audio book. I did I did record it, but it was professionally mastered, and uh, and it's an ebook as well on Kindle and Kobo. So I think if you look up Space Maker, maybe my name Daniel S I H, you'll certainly find it, and um, yeah, it's quite affordable. So I'd love you to. Love you to pick up a copy and and feel free to email me and let me know what you thought. Okay. And how can people get in contact with you? If they wanted to. Connect? Yeah. Well, look, I'm at, I I have a website spacemakers.com.au. Yeah. So that's plural, spacemakers. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. Look, info at spacemakers.com.au. I'd love to chat about the book or um, you know, have a have a conversation like this with others if if people are interested, okay. whether it's a one to, to a faith-based Christian audience or, or, a, or a broader audience who are in need of hearing some hope um, through the wisdom of Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. It's been great. Just one last thing, if you could pass on just one message from this book, what would it be? Hmm. I, I see that the walk of the disciple of Jesus is to constantly die and rise again it's a cruciform life to, to, to metanoia, change your mind and to change your behavior in response to that. And I suppose I'd encourage you to see that our walk with digital technology and our relationship with the online world is part of that faith journey. Yeah. And I'd encourage you to be willing and brave enough to have a metanoia experience to, to let your paradigm die and to let Christ renew you. Um, in beautiful and practical ways through that process. And that's really what the book's about. Because uh, whenever we let something die, we know Jesus' promise that he multiplies it in our lives 30, 50, 100 fold. And there's great joy in um, letting go of some things and allowing Christ to fill us new. So, yeah, that, that would be great. A changed paradigm and changed practices. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate you having me online. No problem. Have a great day. Take care. Okay. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Missional Formation Podcast. If you're interested in learning more information about the Missional Formation Coaching model, visit us at missionalformationcoaching.com. We offer training that is uniquely designed to train individuals who want to be equipped in the skill set of coaching as a missional formation coach. Check us out at missionalformationcoaching.com. Have a great day.